Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Chrissy and Cindy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. We are so glad you're here. Let's dive in. It's Dr. Karawada's mission to empower and help people escape the overwhelm that accompanies an autoimmune diagnosis. In short, to help us all become immune confident. Dr. Kara is a board-certified pediatric and adult allergy, immunology, and lifestyle medicine physician. That's just half of her role. She's also a mom of three young kids, a wife, a systemic Sogren's patient, a certified life coach, a TEDx speaker, and Dr. Ohio America. Yes, she's a proud pageant girl that loves a bit of sparkle from time to time. Everything she went through navigating our healthcare system as a patient has forced her to realign how she wants her life to be and the work she strives to provide. In our interview, Dr. Kara said, quote, I realized that even with all the privilege I had as a physician, it's really hard to navigate our healthcare system, end quote. Dr. Wada offers insight into the current medical system and how it doesn't work for patients or physicians. She also works to educate the next generation of physicians to see, hear, and believe patients, therefore putting an end to the medical gaslighting, a term that Dr. Kara will describe in more detail within our discussion. Let's get started. Dr. Wada, we are so very excited to have you here. I have to admit, this is our first time really covering some of these topics, and I know it's going to be really fascinating for our audience and for me. I'm, I'm pretty excited for some of the questions we have planned for you. But first, we kind of like to throw our guests not under the bus. It's not under the bus, but <laughs> we want to test you. That, that's more what I'm looking for. We're going to test you because you have two minutes. Uh, we're going to set a timer. We give you two minutes. Who are you? What do you do? What are your current struggles as a mom? Just a very quick synopsis. And two minutes is tough. It's like your, your quick little elevator pitch there. So Absolutely. are you ready? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Go. So hi, my name is Kara Wada. Please call me Kara. Um, I am a mom of three, ages seven, four, and just over a year. I am a practicing allergy and immunology doc. I work at the Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. I see patients there about two and a half days a week. I teach. It's a big part of my job is helping educate future physicians. And I also help with physician wellness initiatives as well. And I'm also an autoimmune patient. So I was diagnosed with systemic Sjogren's in 2019, though in hindsight, probably had symptoms dating back even to before I went to medical school. And that really has propelled a lot of realignment in how I want my life to be and the work I want to do while I'm on this planet in part because I realized that even with all the privilege I had as a physician, it's really hard to navigate our healthcare system. And so if I can use that privilege to help others that don't have it, then that, that just seems like a, a good thing to do, try to make the, the world a better place for my kids as they're coming up in the world too. And then also learning the science of like, you know, as a mom with a health condition, what can I do? Are there strategies to help prevent my kids from maybe going down the same path of having a misbehaving immune system and trying to explore the science of that and the practicalities of that, because as a busy mom, like you're trying to do all the things. So where do you just have some acceptance as to like, 
<laughs> you know, this is what it is. My biggest struggles as a mom right now, I think, you know, this week, my little one had a fever. And so trying to like roll with the punches of the little hiccups and stumbling blocks that come in the way and daycare illnesses are the biggest one right now. And dealing with um, my seven-year-old who is now increasingly a strong, independent, very deeply feeling child that I want to encourage, but I have trouble sometimes dealing with, right? It's mm, yes, new challenges with every age. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. absolutely. And, and you are in the thick of it with, with all the ages. And I completely respect everything you just said with regard to the parenting struggles. The daycare sickness is 100% something we hear about all the time. And it does throw a hiccup in your plan and your daily life. And also the sensitive child that hit home for me too. It, it, it is a challenge. And we're really excited to be able to dive into some of the topics. You are an expert in this field and it's something we're hearing about more and more. I don't know that it's something that's necessarily appearing more and more. Maybe you can tell us that, or if it's just something we're building more awareness around, but I feel like I'm talking to more and more friends and moms that have some issues with their immune system, some autoimmune disease and has a struggle in that way. And also, yes, the question about how can we help prevent this for our children is a huge piece of that. So super excited to dive into this today with you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to, to share and to just continue the conversation with other mamas out there. Kara, can you take us back for just a second? Normally, I would be going forward with a super fun question, but you know, I'm going to take us back because I'm curious. Can you define your autoimmune disorder. I, you said the name of it and yeah. I wasn't quite sure what that meant. Yeah. So I, um, I have systemic Sjogren's, which is also known as Sjogren's syndrome. It's spelled funny. It has a J in it. It looks like a chair from Ikea. Um, and it is one of the most common, but the least talked about autoimmune conditions. So the estimates are that it may affect up to one in a hundred folks, 90% of whom are women, many go undiagnosed. Um, and that's for, uh, for many reasons. One is it's, you know, even as someone trained in, in the immune system, the knowledge I gained, like through my training was, you know, now that I look in hindsight, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is pitiful. I knew just like what, what to pick from the multiple choice answers, right? The correct answer, which really does not do the condition justice whatsoever. So big symptoms are um, fatigue, body pain. My suspicion is it probably gets mislabeled as fibromyalgia pretty commonly, um, but also a fair number of folks will have a lot of dryness. So for me, that was a big telltale sign. Um, I wasn't able to wear contacts anymore. My mascara was always ending up as like raccoon eyes yeah. because I was rubbing, rubbing my eyes. Yeah. Um, or not just not tolerating it well, dry mouth, increased kind of dental issues. And then a big portion of patients also will have symptoms of dysautonomia, which is another really long word, but that is essentially a situation where your nervous system and, and many times like your cardiovascular system aren't communicating appropriately. So sometimes people may have issues with like dizziness, you know, that's more than the normal when you're changing position or heart rates that are doing kind of funny things and other issues with your automatic or autonomic nervous system. Do they find it through blood tests? 
Yeah, that's usually the first screening test is blood work. And I was fortunate in that my blood work was really abnormal. So it was an easy diagnosis, but about 40% of folks will have normal blood work or something we would call sero negative. So it just means blood negative. And in those cases, the diagnosis is many times made through a little biopsy of the lips. So they'll do like in the office, like just get a little sample of tissue, look under the microscope and see inflammation there. But that that's not always pursued or thought about because there is, I think, some misperceptions among docs, the blood tests are, are sufficient. And that, that was my thought until I had this diagnosis and learned more, right? And it, I probably, looking back, I don't think I ever sent a patient for a biopsy until I had this diagnosis. Like, really? it, you know, things kind of change yeah. your practice. When you know better, you do better, but half the battle is the knowledge, right? Right. This is so fascinating to me because one, as a mom, I worry about missing certain things in my kids. And then yeah. also too, I'm pretty perceptive with my body. And so if mm -hmm. I miss something that I should be advocating more for with my own body. So that's why I'm, I'm really interested to know what, I mean, do kids get it as well? They can, it's um, not as common, but it certainly can occur. And I'm in the process of planning a, a summit, like to bring awareness um, later this spring and one of the big focuses is working on um, having some representation of folks who have been diagnosed when they were younger, and also a space for those folks to get together and to, to chat together too, because there's so much power in knowing that you're not alone. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's pretty fascinating also to know how many different uh, diseases or disorders out there do mm. get misdiagnosed or just missed in general. I mean, one that's off the top of my head is celiac. Absolutely. Um, that one tends to go pretty misdiagnosed as well. Yeah. So thank you for sharing all of that yeah. and for bringing all of this to the forefront so that we can share it with our community and, and support you too, because now you have an extended community. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to take it back a little bit to being fun and jovial for just a minute before we get into our more serious questions. And I'm going to give you the option of either letting me use a random get to know you questions generator on my phone, or giving you the option to choose between one and a lot oh, of numbers. Just, yeah. Just <laughs> give it to you. Yeah. Okay. I'll Roll give it to the dice, hit the thing, whatever. So the button yeah. says clickety click. So I'm I going to clickety click right now. I am not a Vegas person, but this is oh. as close as I'll get. <laughs> oh, how fun. Okay. With this though, you have to tell us the story behind it. Okay. Do you have any tattoos? If not, are there any tattoos you want? I do not. I don't necessarily have a tattoo that I want, though I have I have contemplated. So I developed a logo with a friend, colleague of mine um, for kind of my crunchy allergist things. It looks a bit like a flower, but it also has, um, there's a little more to it. So it looks like an IgM molecule. So IgM is a type of immunoglobulin. It essentially looks like a dandelion that's like ready to be blown. 
And so I love nature and there's this kind of interplay between the dandelion appearance and what this IgM molecule looks like. So if I got one, that's what it would be. I do have a very kind of funny piercing story. I got Ooh. my belly button pierced on a lunch <laughs> break when I was in college. Oh, no. um, it's no longer pierced, but of course, you know, the, the, the you can still see where it was, but what, how did that, how did that go? How, how was, was your, fine. yeah, you know, mm -hmm. it was that little, sometimes those little acts of rebellion, you know, like I yeah. <laughs> was always pretty straight, a go-getter good kid, but there <laughs> have been those moments of like little acts of rebellion. And I have had a lot of fun, I think in the last couple of years, embracing those as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Solidarity right there. Cause I'm yeah. with you. Kind of the good kid. I, I still the have the little uh the little hole in my belly button too. I, but I actually the other day I was like, should I try to pull just stick a ring back in there? No. <laughs> I don't <laughs> have my belly button pierced. I, I my I nose some, pierced. I have some lovely um stretch marks from I think two of my babies. So is that what made you take it out? Is that you oh no, to I it took it. Like I had taken it out years before and it closed up very quickly. So that was the end of it. That's fun. All right. Diving in, our audience is comprised predominantly of mothers who, if we're being honest, are notorious for brushing aside their symptoms and doing all they can to avoid complaining or rocking the boat, so to speak. Part of what you do is to teach the next generation of physicians to see, hear, and believe patients and essentially to put a stop to medical gaslighting. Can you tell us what medical gaslighting looks like? Yeah. So what's really unfortunate and, and part of this has evolved out of certainly my experiences, but also where I work. So working at a university, it's pretty common that at least once or twice a day, I'll have patients come in that are looking for second, third, fourth, 10th opinions on symptoms that they've been experiencing. Most often these do fit the picture of, you know, a woman that doesn't look so different from ourselves that will say, Hey, you're the first person that's ever listened to me. And it's, it's not uncommon that we're grabbing the Kleenex and think I'm an allergist office. We always have Kleenex, but um, that I was realizing this is happening pretty often and I didn't have a name for describing kind of what that situation was. And it, it was really my experiences within the chronic illness community that made me aware of this term medical gaslighting that really has not been used at all within healthcare communities. Essentially, it's when you go to a doctor's office or the ER or whatever medical provider, and you feel like you're the story that you bring is just ignored or brushed off. It's maybe explained away by anxiety or your weight or your gender, or your hormones, and not taken seriously. And what I think is hard, seeing both sides of the coin, is knowing most, most healthcare professionals are in their jobs and trying to do a good job. Like, I, I don't think that this is always intentional. And, and that's what I worry a little bit about the term, you know, it, but there's also so much power in taking a step back and realizing that intent is one thing, but the impact is really what matters. 
And that needs to be kind of the focus on the impact on, on your patient. Yeah. And I, I appreciate what you said, because I feel that way too. I feel just like teachers, it, you know, most people go into the medical profession, become a doctor because they genuinely want to help people. They genuinely want to help their patients. And I truly believe that, but I know, especially women, I know countless people who go into the, the medical arena, go to the hospital, go to the doctor with a complaint and they don't feel seen. They don't feel heard. It's brushed aside. And especially for women, it's anxiety. It's, it's depression. You're just, you're a mom now you're aging and it's all just kind of brushed aside. How can we make sure we don't fall victim to this as patients? Can you offer some suggestions and tips on how moms in particular can feel empowered and seen when speaking to their doctor or any medical professional, both for themselves and for their children? This episode of Mama Needs a Moment is sponsored by Camp Gladiator. Camp Gladiator is a health and fitness platform for all ages and fitness levels. They provide workouts that are designed and trained by certified personal trainers. Whether that is through their outdoor fitness platform, live online workouts, or through their on-demand library. They also have certified nutrition coaches and registered dietitians who offer nutrition coaching. I love working out with Camp Gladiator and have been for almost a year now. I think one of the things I love most is the positive environment and community that not only works out together, but also becomes a family outside of camp while supporting and giving back to the community. CG members can participate in an unlimited number of workouts each month, and the super fun outdoor workouts include dumbbells along with other fitness toys, which are my favorite, the balls, the bands, the ropes, the fire hoses, so much fun. And the virtual workouts use dumbbells and other things that can be easily found around your home. Camp Gladiator members have a primary trainer that will keep you motivated, accountable, and will be there to do all they can to help you get the most out of your fitness journey. CG is also great for moms. I can't remember how many camps I've been to where I've seen moms with their children in tow, whether in a carrier, a stroller, plus you'll see older children working out alongside their parent, which is always awesome to see. Sometimes they even use their children as an extra weight or just to bring them into the movements because they want to. They have an amazing number of workouts that are offered all throughout the day. You can catch outdoor and live online workouts from 5 a.m. until 10 p.m. And the on-demand ones are available 24 hours a day. Anyone can join Camp Gladiator for a full week of free workouts. Get your free week using the link in the show notes. Yeah, I think there are three kind of main approaches that I think about in trying to have as successful a medical visit as you can, realizing that we only have control over ourselves in the situation in large degree. But the first is owning your story. So knowing, knowing kind of what your symptoms are, being able to communicate those well, knowing your medical history can be really helpful. When you think about that medical visit, really the purpose is for those two parties to communicate information to one another and so the best that we can do that in, you know, maybe thinking ahead of time. So the second part is taking the pressure off through preparation. For me, I tend to freeze up. And when mm -hmm. we think of like fight, flight, freeze or fawn, I, I'm a freeze up in the medical office. Um, even when I go see my docs, 
And so I have to write down questions ahead of time or think about, okay, what do I actually need to communicate to my rheumatologist when I go in for this checkup? Do I have questions? I think that can be really helpful. The other thing I share with folks, especially if you have a, a complicated history, if you have a lot of medical records, testing, other things that have been done beforehand, is having a copy of those records or a summary of those records can be really helpful. So often there's this assumption that electronic medical records have made everything like we can see everything. But the reality is that each patient, each average patient generates 40,000 pages worth of data every year in their electronic medical record. And so the data is wow. there, but like finding it sometimes and, you know, that 15 or 30 minute appointment is it's like a needle in a haystack. And the other thing, so in the Columbus area, we have a few different major medical systems, um, the children's hospital system, and then a couple of others that are more adult centric, all but one of them use the same actual company's medical records system. It's called Epic. It's a pretty common one and they have my chart, but each medical systems version of Epic is different. So if I'm trying to look up results from the hospital just down the road, I may be able to see like bits and pieces of it, but not the whole, literally the whole picture. I can't see like images, for instance. And so, you know, although the data is there, if you can have it there with you, that just, you know, kind of helps speed things up and also avoids duplication of testing and, and imaging and, and those sorts of things. And the other thing we know, especially in situations where folks have been dismissed or felt unheard is that there's a delay in diagnosis and some reluctance to maybe get back out there because it's painful and it's traumatic to not be listened to. And this is where kind of, we also have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and realizing that you, you do have to, you have to put yourself back out there to some degree. I think trying to ask around to get recommendations, who's going to listen, um, can be really helpful. You know, talking to other moms, looking to some degree through reviews, but realizing that, you know, some folks, we can't ever respond to Yelp reviews, um, because that would <laughs> violate patient, uh, confidentiality, but realizing that, anyone can leave a review and sometimes they're not hundred percent accurate. And the other piece of advice I give is I think it's helpful to know the latest statistics say that 62% of physicians are burned out. And I think it's, you know, just to know that the other person there is a human being, but if you are getting the sense that they are not interested, not kind of leaning in, getting curious about helping you wanting to partner with you, it is fully within your right to keep searching as best you can, you know, with the resources you have around, because maybe that person's not the best fit right now, you know, in that situation. Yeah. And I mean, doctors are human. Yeah. You, yes. you, yes, they yes. could be having a really bad week and it really sucks that that's the, the week your visit Absolutely. fell on, but, and, yeah. and you still deserve to to seek out those additional opinions and, yeah. and find someone that can help you at this stage of that's, their life and your life. That's been, um, you know, if we think back historically for so long, there's been this huge power imbalance, right? Like doctors were considered mm -hmm. godlike and then maybe like superheroes for like a minute. And, uh, you know, my real push, especially in being as open as I am with my own health issues is that 
you know, showing we are, we're human that I am a mom. I have kids. I may, I may cancel clinics sometimes because we got the stomach bug and I'm going to try to get people back in as quickly as possible and, and do the best that I can, but also realizing that giving folks some grace on both sides, I think is the take home message to some degree. Absolutely. I agree with that. I think where I start to get, I, I guess I'm going to just say frozen or paralyzed. Cause when you said that, I really related to that. I tend to, um, if someone asks me a question just off the bat and I'm like, <gasps> or, you know, uh-huh. I freeze too, uh, is knowing when I should get a second opinion, because sometimes it's right on the cusp, right? Like you're getting answers, but you don't know if you should maybe go see a second person, but you really like this doctor, but you're not really sure. Yeah. That's where I kind of fall into a rut. So some things I would say, if you ever have a doctor that is dismissive of your wanting to get a second opinion, that's a red flag. (laughs) So I think that's Mm -hmm. one, you know, I, with very rare exception, um, I, I would encourage folks to get a second opinion because I think if you're hearing the same general things from different docs that at least gives you an idea of where the science is and that, you know, where maybe an outlier may be for good or for bad. I think it's part of learning to listen to that inner knowing too. Mm. That's so hard because we've, especially as women been conditioned to not listen to that gut feeling, but that is a very powerful intuition to, Mm. to listen to as best we can. So what do we do if we go to different doctors for different opinions and they all give a different opinion? Good question. <laughs> I, we've had that happen with our daughter. So that's why yeah. I'm asking. Yeah. It's hard to say like from, you know, without specifics to really know. Mm-hmm. We went with our gut actually. Yeah. What we did where we felt like the care was going to be the best is where we stayed where you can partner. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing in saying, okay, like let's, especially if something doesn't read the textbook. Mm, Yeah. You have to be willing to find someone who's like, okay, well, let's, let's keep digging or let's watch and wait. Let's keep checking back in with how things are Mm -hmm. and working on both being a scientist in your care. So, you know, reporting back, okay, how are these interventions going? are they helping? Are they hurting? You know, are, are we making forward progress or not? I think that can be really helpful too. Good suggestions. Not easy. Oh gosh. No, (laughs) no, no. Making decisions for ourselves, but then taking, you know, our children into account with it. And and the more children you have, the more decisions you have to make. And yeah, it's, it is, it's, it's a third one of mine. He's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, well, we recognize that there are so many factors affecting the way a mom is able to effectively take care of herself. So what we did as her health collective, we took as many as we could think of, and we narrowed it down to our four key initiatives, one of which you are also very passionate about. We bring focus to the current healthcare system and how it's failing mothers there is a lack of equity of care for mothers of particular socioeconomic and racial backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Will you please provide your insight into the current medical system? Will you, in this description, will you also provide, 
your insight and explain how it's not working for patients, but how it's also not working for physicians. Yeah, it, it's so broken. And to the point of, I don't know what the solutions, like the, the, the steps are fully. I wrote up a little blurb on LinkedIn not that long ago on Facebook, just of trying to envision, you know, one of the things I've kind of done with some of my like coaching work and, and mindset work is like, if you can't dream it, then you don't know what to like work forward. Right. But certainly having a situation where there is recognition of that shared wisdom of the patient's lived experience and the doctor or other healthcare professionals expertise and finding that synergy, having enough time to be able to build a meaningful therapeutic relationship. You know, unfortunately with kind of the current medical system, it's very much a like a commoditization, like let's just turn up the speed of the conveyor belt and like get more patients through, we'll get more efficient and then we'll make more money. We can see more people, you know, like they think that this is going to be better. They being the decision makers, right. And those in many times in leadership. And it's really hard to do that when you're trying to build a meaningful human to human connection with another, with another person especially someone who has suffered trauma at the hands of the medical system or other related um, systems that are in place, those marginalized communities, especially historical trauma. Tuskegee is like the, uh, the not even digging into any of it. How do we make that affordable? I think is a big issue So many of the treatments that are being developed within my sphere of medicine are these, you know, immune system-based biologic type medications. Those are majority of, you know, many of the recently developed um, treatments for asthma, for nasal polyps, for autoimmune conditions, and they are phenomenal. They're effective. They're generally pretty well tolerated. They're really expensive Mm -hmm. and In part, they're expensive to produce. Pharma companies are developing them. There's quite a bit of investment that they put in ahead of time, but also there are a lot of other parties that are taking their piece of the pie. Um, There are this this new entity of pharmacy benefit managers that have their little piece of the pie and they don't really do anything. And I think there's a lot of disillusionment in physicians. There was an opinion piece in the New York Times just in the last week talking about, is it physician burnout or are we just really frustrated that we're working in a broken system where we're not able to get our patients the care that they need and deserve? I had to like tweet a couple of weeks ago to try to get my patient coverage for her. Um, She has an immune deficiency and she gets infusions every month. She's been on them for years and she does well when she's on them. But I had to tweet to get UHC's attention because I kept getting bounced between their stupid phone trees. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like as you're talking, yeah, people have, they're working through their own trauma and depending on what they've gone through in terms of whether they're marginalized, their socioeconomic status, et cetera, they have, have that working against them, which should not be against them, but it is. And on the other side, the physicians, like we just said, physicians are human. They want to provide this care but there are boundaries around what they're able to do, such as time with their patients, et cetera. Does it uh, make a difference if the physician 
has insurance or not insurance? Like, is this the insurance companies that are mm-hmm. making it more difficult? In many ways, they, they add to it. You know, there, there are a lot of um, different parties that essentially are kind of coming between that physician patient relationship, right? You have the insurance company that says, okay, you should use this medication first because we get a discount through this pharma company. And maybe that's not the treatment that you think would actually work best for that patient. So then you're kind of working through that. You may have, you know, especially in women's health and in many parts of this country, including in Ohio, where I live, government laws in in place that may interfere in that decision-making between the physician and patient. And then you have whoever is employing the physician as well. Many decades ago, a lot of physicians were in private practice, um, and now most folks are employed. And sometimes those, for instance, my sister's an emergency room physician, and many emergency room physicians are essentially under venture capital-owned entities. And so they're really trying to report back to their shareholders. And so there are constraints that come in with that as well. There was so much packed into this episode with Dr. Kara Wada, and we aren't done. Join us next week as we talk to Dr. Kara about the prevalence of allergies, autoimmunity, and immune deficiency. She also will talk about how they manifest in the body and some easy to apply tips that can be implemented right away to increase both your family's and your own immunity. Are you interested in bonus content from our talk with Dr. Kara? Become a Patreon supporter of Mama Needs a Moment and have access to additional information only provided to our Patreon community. Here are our three takeaways that we gathered from this great episode with Dr. Kara. Number one, Dr. Kara discussed systemic Sogrins, which is also known as Sogrins syndrome. It's one of the most common, but the least talked about autoimmune conditions. It's estimated that it may affect up to one in 100 folks, 90% of whom are women and may go undiagnosed. She suspects that it probably gets mislabeled as fibromyalgia pretty commonly. Some of the symptoms of the condition include dryness, such as dry skin and eyes, dry mouth, which may lead to increased dental issues, and in some cases, dizziness. The first screening test is blood work, but according to Dr. Kara, 40% of people will have normal blood work. And in those cases, the diagnosis is many times made through a biopsy of the lip. This syndrome is less common in children, but it can occur. Two, Dr. Kara uses her privilege to help others who unrighteously have less privilege to navigate the healthcare system and those who experience medical gaslighting. She explained medical gaslighting as when a person goes to a medical provider and feels like the story they bring is just ignored or brushed off. Perhaps it's explained away as being anxiety or caused by weight or gender or hormones and not taken seriously. She provided three approaches to having a successful medical visit. One, owning your story, knowing what your symptoms are as well as your medical history and being able to communicate those well. Two, taking the pressure off through preparation, writing down questions ahead of time, and thinking about what actually needs to be communicated to the doctor when going in for the appointment. Write down questions and perhaps even have a copy of important medical records so they can be accessed quickly. Three, go in with an understanding that the doctor is a human being with human feelings and human experiences. And yes, you may have met with them on a really bad day. However, if you're getting the sense that they are not interested, not leaning in and getting curious about helping you and wanting to partner with you, it's 
fully within your right to find another provider because maybe that person is not the best fit for you. Number three, we asked Dr. Kara to provide insights into the current medical system and how it's failing patients as well as physicians. She said that the way the system is set up now, physicians are not provided enough time to create a recognition of shared wisdom that is discussing the patient's lived experiences and works with the doctor or other healthcare professional's expertise. They are struggling to find that synergy of having enough time to be able to build a meaningful therapeutic relationship. Instead, decision makers and leadership are turning up the speed of the conveyor belt to get more patients through, thinking that it'll become more efficient and then they'll make more money. They think seeing more people will make it better. She also mentioned that the need to make healthcare treatments more affordable is imperative. There are several groups taking a piece of the monetary pie. High five, friend. We've enjoyed hanging out with you. Follow us to be the first to know when we drop a new episode. If you've enjoyed your time with us, let us know by leaving a review. We always love hearing from you. Until next time, stay true to you.